Chapter Three of the Submarine Boys Lightning Cruise. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Doug Fajardo. The Submarine Boys Lightning Cruise by Victor G. Durham. Chapter Three Struck by a Submerged Foe. Yep, agreed F. Summers, blaster of daydreams. But say, well, demanded Captain Jack. At the same time, muttered F. grimly, I'm glad that that scow isn't a real battleship with half a dozen twelve inch cannon turned on us. Huh, muttered Jack dryly. If that scow were an enemy's battleship, twelve-inch barkers and all, we'd be twenty feet under the surface, and we'd be out of sight and out of mind. Quite right, nodded Lieutenant Danvers. In a contest of that sort, I'd feel fifty times safer here than on the battleship we were after. Now, Benson, you've seen the first part of it. We have the other dummy to fire. The real gunner on a submarine is the fellow at the wheel. Do you want to take the wheel, maneuver the boat, and give the order to fire the next dummy shot? Do I, uttered Jack Benson. Just. Orders were then given to place the other dummy torpedo in the tube. And, this done, Jack took his place at the wheel, while F. Summers and the lieutenant stood outside. At the naval officer's direction, Jack Benson came up on the other side of the scow, about three hundred yards away, with the nose of the Hastings so pointed that the torpedo dummy could be delivered straight amidships. At just the right moment, Captain Jack passed the order to fire. Then he watched the scow with a strange fascination. Danvers stood, watch in hand. Now, he shouted. Barely two seconds later, the dummy torpedo arose, a few yards back from the side of the scow. That torpedo struck Full and fair, nodded Lieutenant Danvers, turning toward the conning tower. Mr. Benson, if you always hit as full and well, you'll be an expert torpedoist. Why, it's nothing but holding the nose of your own boat full on the other craft, amidships, and the torpedo itself does the rest, uttered the young submarine skipper. That's it, nodded Lieutenant Danvers. But when you're below the surface, the problem becomes a harder one. But then I'd come up and use the periscope, get the bearings of the enemy's vessel, declared Benson. Then I'd drop below, using the compass for direction and the number of motor revolutions to give me the knowledge of distance traveled. 
That's just the way it is done, agreed Danvers. After all, it's just a matter of accurate boat handling, and being able to judge distances by the eye alone. And now, Mr. Benson, if you'll run over yonder, carefully, we'll pick up the dummies. After that, we've got to make as good a shot with a real torpedo and sink the scow. And if you don't, sir, smiled the young submarine officer, then we'll be guilty of poor shooting and have to try the second loaded torpedo, replied the naval officer. If we miss with the second, then we'll have to contrive either to tow the scow or to sink her somehow. If either of the loaded torpedoes fails to explode, we'll have to pick it up at all hazards. If we left a loaded torpedo floating on the surface of the water here in the paths of coast navigation, it would sink the first ship that struck the warhead of the torpedo. The sea, by this time, was rough and white-capped, and a brisk wind was blowing down from the northeast. It was no easy task to get a rope around first one dummy torpedo and then the other. Yet at last this was done, and the heavy objects were hoisted aboard and stored below. Now we'll get off and sink the scow before dark, muttered Lieutenant Danvers. Are you going to let me fire the torpedo at her, sir? demanded Skipper Jack Benson eagerly. If you feel sure you can do it, replied the naval officer. For that matter, if you fail, there will be one torpedo left, and I can take the second shot. At a sign from the young skipper, Eph hurried below to relieve Hal Hastings, who wished to see some of the fun. Hal came up into the conning tower to take the wheel, while Jack Benson slipped below to direct the loading of the torpedo into the tube. Then Biffins, the sailor, took his post by the firing lever, while Ubold stood back to pass the word from the conning tower. This loaded torpedo, like the dummies, had been set to run four hundred yards. Captain Jack, therefore, determined to release the torpedo at a range of three hundred yards. The Hastings had drifted somewhat away from the scow, but Jack, one hand on the steering wheel and the other at the signals, ran the submarine over so that he could head the craft around to deliver a broadside fire at the scow at right angles. When he had the Hastings in this position, he shouted down, "'Be ready, Ewald!' "'Aye, aye, sir!' A breathless instant followed, during which the young submarine commander took his last sight from the conning tower. "'Fire!' "'Fire it is, sir!' Jack and Hal could just barely see, from the tower, the slight commotion that the torpedo made in the water at the bow when released. Hal, watch in hand, was counting. One, 
two, three, four, and so on. Suddenly there came a low rumble, followed by boom. The explosion was a dull and sullen one, but loud enough to make the blood of the submarine boys tingle. A column of spray shot up, followed by detached whiffs of smoke, for the torpedo had exploded beneath the surface. In the same instant, a sound of rending timbers reached their ears. And then the scow... Where was it? Only the waters rolled where the scow had been. Captain Jack and Hal rubbed their eyes. The same thing would have happened to a battleship, smiled Lieutenant Danvers, who had come up behind them. Now you young men begin to have something like an idea of what an engine of war you are handling, because this craft would be much more deadly and vastly more nerve-wracking to an enemy, because she would approach under water, and those on the battleship would have little or no means of gauging their peril. Incidentally, Mr. Benson, I must congratulate you upon the neatness of the shot. To accept congratulations for that would be like robbing the poor box in a church, laughed Jack. It called for nothing but aiming the nose of the boat straight. And, even under water, replied Danvers, it calls for but few more calculations. With really trained men all through the crew of a submarine, you can now understand what show that battleship of coming days will have against a single hostile torpedo boat. Why, the captain of a torpedo boat, if he has but one torpedo on board, could sail in under a fleet, pick out his battleship, sink it, and then scuttle away, underwater, from the rest of the fleet. It seems almost like cowardice, doesn't it? asked Hal Hastings soberly. Not exactly, replied Lieutenant Danvers, grimly. In the first place, the game of war is to destroy the enemy with as little loss as possible to yourself. Moreover, the commander and crew of a submarine torpedo boat during the naval campaign would have to take risks enough to make most men's hair turn gray. "'I'm not wishing for war,' muttered Jack Benson. "'Still, if one has to come, I hope I'll be in command of a torpedo craft that sees service.' "'I think you'll have your wish, my lad,' nodded Lieutenant Danvers. "'Of course none but regularly commissioned naval officers may command the craft of the Navy. "'Still,' In our civil war, and in the war with Spain, we had to commission a good many volunteers. So, in the event of another war coming, I don't believe the Navy Department would feel that it could possibly pass by boys trained as well as you three have been. Are you going to use the other loaded torpedo today, sir? asked Jack. 
"'Against what?' demanded Danvers. "'You've sunk the scow as deep as the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean.' "'Then I suppose we may as well put back to Dunhaven, sir.' "'Yes, Benson.' Jack accordingly signaled for slow speed ahead, turning the nose of the Hastings towards the west. Hal and F, as the submarine started back, took a drill in loading and unloading torpedoes into the tube, performing this work with one of the dummies, Uwold and Billens assisting. Knowing that Hal was not in the engine room, Captain Jack was content to run along at slow speed. Nor had the boat gone more than two miles when something struck the bow. At the first impact alert, Jack Benson felt his heart leap into his mouth. It was as though the Hastings had struck, lightly, on a reef. Almost by instinct, Jack threw the wheel over to port. Something was rasping, forcefully, under the hull of the submarine. As the helm went to port, that something underneath, whatever it was, sheared off. "'What was that, Benson?' called up Lieutenant Danvers sharply. "'Struck something, sir, I'm sure,' Jack called back. At the first sound of trouble, Hal Hastings leaped into the engine room. Lieutenant Danvers sprang up the stairs into the conning tower. He was in time to find Jack, Captain Jack swinging the nose of the Hastings around. Then the youthful commander signaled for the stop and the reverse. "'Mr. Summers!' shouted Jack, coolly but promptly. "'Aye, aye, sir?' called up F. "'Take a lantern and get down into the compartments along the keel forward. See if we're taking in any water.' "'Aye, aye, sir.' "'We struck part of a derelict, or something else submerged,' guessed Lieutenant Danvers. "'We're lucky, indeed, if our plates are not sprung.' Then he called down to Biffins to follow and aid F. Summers. It was almost dark now. Jack, reaching over, switched on the electric side lights outside, and also the white light at the signal masthead. Then he turned on the searchlight, sending its bright ray through the gathering darkness. Look over there, sir muttered Jack, holding the searchlight ray steadily on an object he believed he saw. "'Don't you make out, sir, bobbing up and down when the waves part, what looks like the stump of a broken-off mast of a vessel submerged? It is a death-dealing derelict in the very path of coastwise navigation.' "'By Jove, yes,' gasped Lieutenant Danvers hoarsely. Your eyes are sharp, Benson, and your judgment sound. That, then, was what we struck on, the mass stump of a waterlogged, sunken derelict. If our under-hull plates are sprung, we go down to the bottom. 
They waited, in dreadful anxiety, for the report of F from the region of the keel plates. They were far out to sea, and a submarine cannot carry a lifeboat. End of chapter 3 Struck by a Submerged Foe